0: Hi, I'm Priyanka. And I'm Lexis. And this is... Incubation Time. Hi,
1: Lexis. Hi, Pri.
2: Well, this has been a fun summer for us so
0: far. Yeah, I mean, we've gotten two recordings down, Mm -hmm. um, and I was just looking back, and we've only had 10 to date, so I'm like, wow, we have 20% that we're adding
2: on. (laughs) I feel really positive about this summer. I know we're both really busy, but like, we're making it work. We're doing it. Oh, yeah. No, I go to Italy on Wednesday Mm -hmm. for a research
0: conference, a Gordon conference, and I'm really excited to be able to hear the podcast we're about to drop on with Carlos and then Mm -hmm. this podcast we're putting out right now with Priscilla
2: yeah and then why don't you give us a little sneak peek of what you're hoping to do while you're in Italy yeah so I actually
0: have a microphone we use the mic up some of the girls on my lacrosse team during practice, kind of like those cute little videos of like the little kids playing hockey. Are teenagers as cute as little kids when they're playing? No, but they're ruthless, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Um, But I have the mics, and I'm thinking about having a postdoc in my lab, like be the videographer. Okay. And then I just go up to professors, because I kind of have a list of professors, and really just ask them questions that kind of aren't even science-based. It's like, who's your role model, kind of like, what's your favorite thing to do, not while you're in lab
2: yeah
0: and see if they get creative and if we find out some cool new interesting things
2: all right I'm excited to hear that and I'm excited to put that episode together I think that'll be really fun yeah just trying to make my mark and uh kind of like what Carlos said during Mm -hmm.
0: his episode some different things that he did to really set himself apart uh, especially getting an interview with Jennifer Doudna Mm -hmm. it's like he went up and he takes photos and then emails them which I don't know if I necessarily have the eye for it, yeah. but I think I could really talk my butt off at a conference.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, someone, a PI being interviewed by someone with a little handheld microphone is definitely going to stand out to them. Oh yeah, definitely. And then you can just drop them a link to the podcast there and be like, here, by the way, this was the episode. Oh yeah. No,
0: I have a link tree on my poster. I love that. And it's like malleable. So I can go in and I change it without the QR code changing. Mm-hmm. And so I can definitely add all of our podcast links to them. That. That'd be awesome. Mm-hmm.
2: So, you're going to Italy next week. Yep. Um, you've been traveling a little bit this summer as well for lacrosse. Um, I'm going to New Orleans the week after that. Oh, yeah. Um, just doing a staycation at my in-law's house. So, they're the ones in Europe. <laughs> we yeah. are just staycationing in their home to take it's care like of their a dogs. It's little France. It's, it's a, a mi- little bit France. It's a mini France. Yeah, I'm going to have some French food while I'm there. Yeah. Um, Café du Monde. <laughs> Not the better places. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it's a pretty ch- chill summer socially, but... Uh, very, very not chill in lab. Really? So this summer's really picked up science-wise, which is exciting, but also a little scary. Yeah, definitely. Um, But yeah, I think that being creative in this way has really helped with outlets and yeah being able to do other things than just like lab and hobbies at home this is really nice to be able to do during the day
0: exactly and i'm starting to kind of prioritize extra curricular things as you get into your fourth year and fifth year especially because i just wrote a grant for the nih and f99 mm-hmm. but i need to resubmit and i think a lot of like the reviewer comments are kind of just like more personal development yeah. uh, more training development and going and talking with other people, not necessarily doing 100% lab work, is what's gonna help make me more well rounded. So, yeah, doing this specifically and like talking to all these students or researchers about what they do, that's definitely career driven too. Oh,
2: yeah. And we can definitely put a science communicator on our resumes. Oh, yeah. So, today's episode is about tissue culture. We're mm-hmm. continuing our model organism series. And um, a little mouse. A little bit mouse, too. Mouse. Um, but, yeah, tissue culture, because it's so ubiquitous, it kind of covers multiple model organisms. Yeah. So, like, you guys are going to hear when we talk to Priscilla, her tissue culture comes from mice or mm-hmm. it comes from human samples. And we'll kind of talk about that a little bit. But tissue culture has been really important for scientists to be able to develop because you have to be able to find a way to study human cells outside the human body. Yeah that's fundamental um so i'm gonna give a quick like very very quick background to you know how we were able to culture cells in a dish at all ever yeah um it's always been understood that cells needing the ability to see cells in a dish and culture them and do experiments on them is like foundational to biology Mm -hmm. and so people have been trying this for years and years and essentially what happened in the eight in 1885 there was a very very early attempt made by a zoologist named Wilhelm Roux, Rooks I think um and he cultivated tissue from a chick embryo and he just used like a warm salt solution that was the basic thing you could think of like will this work in salt and it didn't really work very well but it kind of got the wheels turning of like okay can we isolate cells like that and then the real breakthrough of, like, animal cell culture came with American embryologist Ross Granville Harrison. And this was in, like, late 1800s, early 1900s. He developed the techniques to cell culture, to culture cells from frogs. Oh. Xenopus? No, I think just regular frogs. And what he did was he just took, like, frog neurons, I want to say. Oh, interesting. And then he was able to take lymph cells and culture them. And what he found, so he did small pieces of living frog embryonic tissue and then grew them mm-hmm. outside the frog body. And what he found was a couple of things were hindering him. One was bacterial contamination. Yeah. The cells were constantly getting contaminated. And so he actually developed the basics of the aseptic technique that we use today. Oh, wow. He realized you had to flame the glassware. You had to flame and boil all of the surgical equipment that you were using you had to clean the cloths. You had to autoclave filters. So he did all of that. Mm-hmm. And all of that basically allowed him to grow cells for up to five weeks. Oh, Longest anyone had ever yeah. grown cells. And then he was, because he could grow it for five weeks, he was able to track cell development over five weeks. And so that was the first time anyone had ever done that. Mm-hmm. And so the first, like, properly established cell line we've we ever got was in 1948. So... Harrison discovered this in 1917. Yeah. We didn't get the first cell line until 1948, and that was from subcutaneous mouse mouse tissue. Um and yes, it had very it had looked very, very different than what the original tissue looks like. Yeah. But it was a cell line, it was growing well, you could freeze it, you could thaw it, and you could send it to other labs. And, and it was, that was immortal. It was. it was immortal. Yeah. And that was important at the time. But now you're you need to tell us about the most important discovery of immortal cell lines that ever occurred
0: yeah so i mean typically in the intro of our podcast i go over women in science and a lot of times it's people that have won the nobel prize but there's a lot of women in science that don't get recognized especially this one and so a lot of what i'm going to talk about right now is about henrietta Lacks. Mm -hmm. i watched um, a ted ed but also i have the book yeah Um, there was an oprah show a while back about it they made a movie as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Henrietta Lacks, kind of just talking about her cells, which we use, and they're called HeLa cells. And so in 1951, just three years after you just talked about this mice strain, um, right. at Johns Hopkins, there was a scientist called George Guy, um, and they received a strange-looking t- tumor, which was purple and jelly-like. Mm. And that tumor was really interesting because it was these cells that just kept dividing and dividing, and if they died, more would come, and they, they were pretty much immortal, things that researchers have been looking for, like right. you said, for almost 100-plus years. Right. And so it was just an endless source of identical cells. Um, and Guy, George Guy, named it after Henrietta Lacks, who this tumor came from. And so it was kind of controversial. And the reasons being is because Henrietta Lacks was, she died from this tumor specifically, Mm -hmm. died from this cancer. um, And they didn't find out about her cell line until 20 years after it had gone famous. Right. And so a little bit about Henrietta. She was born on a tobacco farm. Mm -hmm. She lived in Baltimore and she had five kids and a husband. She died at the age of 31, so oh, that's wow. like five years from how old I am. Yeah, um, and she died from cervical cancer just a few months after those tissues had been received by George Guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, she didn't. She never knew about it. Obviously, right? She didn't know that people were using her cells, and her family really didn't find out until the 70s.
2: And there was no such concept yet of uh, ownership of your biological material, right? There was no like consent forms. There was yeah. no. I'm not releasing. too sure. Well, I remember in the book they do talk about that a lot of the the um, consents that we have now actually came out of this case. Yeah, as they should. Right, because they realized there was an ethical debate about Mm -hmm. whether you own your own biological material. So we do own our genome, we own our cells and all that now. Yeah,
0: definitely. And, I mean, like we said, it was really problematic uh, for the sense that it was not consented um, and Mm -hmm. it was unethical because a lot of people's livelihoods were built off of these cells because once George Guy found them, he sent them out to uh, hundreds of different labs across the world, and then they mm-hmm. all started using HeLa cells. And so how do these cells work? Why are they immortal? Really no one at least as of a couple years ago, people didn't really know how they worked. Um, mm-hmm. They can divide, and typical cells... Um, divide, but they undergo programmed cell death after about the 50th passage. Mm. And these ones can just be frozen, thawed, frozen, thawed. So yeah. They can live on anything—a piece mm. of dust, can <laughs> live on your skin. It can—they can just live anywhere. But some famous findings that have came out of HeLa cells: um, was that polio tested on it, right. measles, mumps, HIV, Ebola. Um, Wow. Uh, we know now that humans have 46 chromosomes because of HeLa cells. They mm-hmm. developed kind of the staining for chromosomes due to HeLa cells. Uh, and what's interesting is that HeLa cells do not have 46. They have roughly 80 chromosomes because just they're crazy. just highly mutated. Like,
2: yeah.
0: like we were talking about earlier off the mic that, you know, it might be even a whole new species because yeah. no one knows what those 80 chromosomes do. And then really the first discovery of telomerase telomerase Mm -hmm. pronounce it wrong uh, was discovered in HeLa cells and so and they're the first cells to be cloned yeah Um, so many 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 things and that's not even uh, what it scratches the surface
2: right
0: Uh, a lot of money has came out of these cells and it was just wrongfully taken from Henrietta and Mm -hmm. without consent and so um She's done a huge service to science and probably the biggest service you could think of. Yeah. And yeah, definitely an idea. no no idea. Um, and I think a lot of people, if they're interested, should read the book.
2: Yes, the um, book is very
0: well written. Look into it and really
2: educate themselves on Henrietta Lacks. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, nowadays we don't use HeLa cells nearly as much as they used to, primarily because of what you talked about. They're so mutated mm-hmm. that you can't really confirm any human or understand human biology just from those cells alone. Yeah. So they're still a very good tool, but increasingly labs are moving away from using HeLa cells. And they contaminate everything, too. They do contaminate everything, and you don't always know how many chromosomes they have, what genes they have, are they mutated, are they wild-type, or anything. Mm -hmm. So, like, I used HeLa cells in my old lab at the NIH, but HeLa was one of the, like, five different cells I used. So, you know, good studies now will use multiple different cell lines to mm-hmm. just confirm what you're seeing. Yeah. Um, so, the big things that uh, to know about cell culture in general, there's two main types of cell culture. So, what you just talked about with Henrietta Lacks are immortalized cell lines. Mm-hmm. And all that means is they, like you said, they grow indefinitely. And the important part is you can freeze them and thaw them and they will keep growing. Yeah. Um, this is really important because we have an entire company atcc that exists solely to grow and distribute cell lines Mm -hmm. Um, but the other type so that's immortalized cell lines are used across labs are the easiest ones to work with by far you need almost no skill to know how to work with those the ones that are more difficult and more um maybe Mm -hmm. biologically relevant are, are cell lines that are that come from mortal cultures and so what that means is just they are taken out directly from tissue that's biopsied from living organisms. Mm-hmm. So that can be mouse, that can be whatever your model organism is in lab, or it can be human. Yeah. And this is the primary way that labs will use human samples then. And you'll, you're going to hear Priscilla talk about this. You have human samples, you can take out certain cell types from there, and you can culture them for short periods of time, not indefinitely. Yeah, I think she said just one day is what yeah. she was using for Like her- six hours or something like that.
0: Yeah, for her dendritic cells. I'm pretty sure that's what she was saying. Exactly. But also Carlos was talking about how they take out feeder cells
2: from the mice to feed their stem cell cultures. Exactly, yeah. And so increasingly, that's kind of the mode of where tissue culture seems to be moving, Mm -hmm. is either differentiating stem cells, so you have wild-type cells to use, or getting patient samples, so you can study the disease state directly.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, But... The important thing about why we need, use, and like tissue culture so much is tissue cultures multiply. They change in form. They change in function. They show, and some of them can even show specific activity. So, Mm -hmm. for example, you can grow heart cells, and they will beat in a dish. You can grow neurons, and they'll... Transmit electricity in a dish. Yeah, we have we grow neurons in our lab, and mm-hmm. you can see dopamine in the neurons. Yeah, this kind that kind of stuff is so so essential for studying mechanisms. Um, like Priscilla is going to say, you can activate T cells in a dish. Mm-hmm. You can get them to be immune. A all whole um, immune system in a dish yeah. is what she talked about. And then the new frontier is also doing organoids. Mm-hmm. So flat tissue cultures on a dish aren't enough anymore. Um, Being able to grow a 3D organoid gives you even more accurate data. Mm -hmm. And there's even some things, have you heard of the organs on a chip? No. Um, There, some companies are developing like little chips where they basically look like glass slides, Mm -hmm. but they grow different cell types on them and then you can pass liquid through them. Got it. So it mimics the blood flow. Yeah. It's very cool. And so more advanced stuff like that can be done with tissue culture where you get slightly more intricate and invested data yeah and dermatology companies use this kind of stuff all the time because they don't test on animals anymore and you can't test on humans with non-fda approved substances but you can test on a dish with tissue cells well it's kind of like what you mentioned a few episodes back with the heartbeat like
0: Mm -hmm. they made this 3d printed structure Mm -hmm. and then they layered heart cells on it and
2: they saw contractions yeah yeah exactly which Mm -hmm. is pretty cool it's getting pretty advanced with what we can do with cells. Yeah, it's very very cool. Not advanced enough though. <laughs> we must keep striving. <laughs> yeah, I think the three D organs are probably the most like interesting. Probably expensive. Yeah, but definitely definitely very interesting to study. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like the big picture overview of cell culture. Yeah. And um, yeah, do you want to tell us why we're interviewing? Well, who are we interviewing today and why? Well, we're interviewing
0: uh, Priscilla. Priscilla is the same year as we are in grad school. Mm -hmm. She has a lot of background in immunology. Um, She is doing some really cool research on looking at how the microbiome affects different types of cancer therapies. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's really interesting and getting into that. And besides science, she's a great science communicator, and so she has a lot of background in kind of communicating on the social media platforms, and that came during the pandemic, which we talk a little bit about. She doesn't necessarily want to go the PI route, and she talks about different pathways that you can do as a graduate student once Mm -hmm. you're done, which is not something we typically talk to a lot of people about. So we're getting that little taste of kind of what else is there out there, yeah, Um, and almost the exact opposite of Carlos, where he's looking say, yeah. at doing CRISPR in, well, doing a postdoc in a lab that mm-hmm. just got the Nobel Prize a couple years ago. And um, he wants to
2: go the more traditional academic route, become yeah. a PI, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And Priscilla is really into um, biotech and being kind of like the um, science communicator for a biotech, maybe do some bench work. So mm-hmm. really great talk with her. And I'm, I'm just excited for everybody to hear it Yeah, me too Alright, so
2: without further ado, here's our interview with Priscilla And we'd like to welcome Priscilla DeValle from our class uh, She's a fifth year along with us Yeah, Which is weird to say in the first place um, Hi,
1: welcome, thanks for being here Thank you for having me I'm very excited now that I've seen the podcast since the beginning <laughs> When we started grad school So very excited to be here
0: Alright, so before we even get into any questions, what have you been up to this summer? And not even just in lab, just in general. Just in
1: general. Also, traveling a lot. Mm -hmm. I've been doing... um, I've had some weddings um, in Mexico, some weddings in South Carolina, which was my first time going there. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to a biotech program in Boston, which was very amazing, and just trying to combine all those and balance my life with trips and labs so not much in the lab actually
0: (laughs) (laughs) well now we have a lot to talk about in the middle of the podcast because I'd like to know about that biotech conference that sounds really interesting
1: it was pretty cool
0: yeah so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself like why did you want to come to grad school where you're from and kind of how you started off
1: sure so um I am actually from El Paso Texas Mm -hmm. I was born there but I grew up in Mexico Mm -hmm. since you guys know El Paso is border with Mexico Mm -hmm. and so my parents are Mexican and I grew up there and I finished high school there and so when it was time to come to college I um, decided to come back to the U.S. Mm -hmm. come to college here and at the beginning I wanted to do medical school because I really didn't know that you could be a scientist Mm -hmm. as a professional as a profession I guess and so when I came here, I started looking at all these research programs, and I started getting, like, all these experiences in labs. And I was like, okay, I think that interests me, mm-hmm. the creativity, the flexibility that you have in the lab. Just, like, I fell in love with it and just finding new questions and or new answers. And so that's how I decided that I was perfect for a Ph.D. program for mm-hmm. grad school. I mean, at the beginning, I did take a break and I did a post-bac program just to like reassure what I wanted to do um, because I was interested in infectious disease and um, including bacteria, not really viruses. So I finished my bachelor's in microbiology. And so I decided to, that for my PhD, I was going to do the gut microbiome and, and cancer. That's really That's
2: cool. so cool. Yeah, and there's, uh, we actually ended up, we did our post back at the same time <laughs> in the same oh, institute yeah. at the NIH.
1: And we have mm, a never picture m- together. Mm-hmm. Never met We're each other. next to each other. And never met each other until we, never, we
2: came here. Yeah. Wow. We, we don't remember seeing each other anywhere in the hallways or presentations or anything. <laughs>
0: Well, that's really fun. That's kind of like me and Adam. We did research at the same institute in Houston together, like in the same... never met. No, (laughs) on the same hall, like on the same floor in the same department and never met while we were there.
1: Science can be a really small world sometimes.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure
1: you presented or I presented at some point and I don't remember.
0: (laughs) Nope. Oh my goodness. So what about kind of infectious diseases made you really interested, especially to do the PhD kind of like where you are right now?
1: So I feel like um, when I started my basic courses and when I took microbiology, I had this project and the project was about malaria. Mm-hmm. And so I was like learning about the evolution and how it was infectious, non-infectious at some point and then infectious at some point because it evolved. And so I was very intrigued by that, like this little microorganism causing all these disease. And so I fell in love with it and I started looking at bacteria and again, like looking at something so small causing different types of disease so I was in love with it I fell in love with it and then it was bacteria and then at NIH I did um parasitology mm-hmm. so we were looking at um onchocerca volvulus, which oh, is like I've never heard of that I've never heard of that either. <laughs> yes so this parasite <laughs> causes river blindness in Mexico oh so okay. it can present as a um, parasite in your eye or you can like create nodules in I your skin. I have <laughs> heard of this. And so oh, the lab that I was um, at NIH we were looking at finding biomarkers for the because they're like worms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so there's really not a I don't know some drug that can actually kill them so that's why they're so prevalent in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. The, it, was, it was pretty cool to understand how these like microorganisms work Mm -hmm. and how they can just cause blindness i guess
0: yeah that's crazy
2: Uh, i remember seeing a talk about those (laughs) ones now that you remind me and that like someone
1: could see them behind their eye (sighs) you can oh it's (sighs) wait so when you're looking you can like see worms yeah so they're like in your whole eye that's why they cause blindness you cannot see anymore oh it's really gross yeah. I Trigger <laughs> <laughs> we should have done that before. Yeah, and so it's a big uh, public health problem in Africa and so mm-hmm. yeah. But there's different types though. So mm-hmm. they you can some person can have one type of parasite and some other person can have some other type of parasite and then if you give them certain drug E mm-hmm. like it's bad if you have these other worms. So yeah. it's it's very complicated to just eliminate these diseases. Hmm.
0: So why don't you tell us a little bit about the research that you do in lab currently?
1: Yes, so um, moving from parasites, when I came here to um, start my PhD, I actually was looking at what to do, and so one um, topic that caught my interest. Since again, I was I'm a microbiologist, I'm mm-hmm. interested in bacteria. So the research that I'm doing is related to the gut microbiome, which mm-hmm. is a hot topic right now, yeah. especially yeah. In like related to, I don't know, brain axis and um, just other, other diseases. Mine in specific is cancer. Mm-hmm. And so it's been shown that certain patients respond better to um, therapies such as uh, immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy. Which is like this treatment that has revolutionized um, treatment for like melanoma, which was a which was a very like hard cancer to treat. Right, and so they have proven that patients that respond better have certain type of bacteria in their gut than huh. patients that respond that wow. do not respond. And so what I'm studying is this question like why, what mm-hmm. is, which are these bacteria that are present that are present in. Um, patients that respond and what are they doing like Mm -hmm. at a molecular level
2: wow okay so for this kind of work then what are some of the like standards in the field for the kinds of model organisms or you know um just experimental things that you can do to study because obviously you need human samples is what it sounds like
1: Yes, so most of our human samples consist on getting stool samples from patients. Mm -hmm. And then so when you think gut microbiome, you really focus on like sequencing because you want to know which bacteria are present Mm -hmm. in, in the stool, but really that's not my main project, my main project is like, okay, we already have the bacteria that we're interested in. Mm -hmm. So now let's try to look at more of like the immune response. And for these, we use like, I use a lot of dendritic cells. Mm -hmm. And so I isolate dendritic cells for from a mouse spleen. Mm -hmm. And then I treat these cells with certain bacteria or with certain controls that we need. And so you can My project with a lot of immune cells, um, Mm -hmm. cancer cells, because we have the cancer model to actually um, test the bacteria that we're interested on. And um, I think that's pretty much it. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess human cells from the blood when we want to have a human sample. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then, so for our listeners who are trying to
2: understand, like, what tissue culture can encompass, you can have, you know, live cell samples that you get from the mouse or humans We have what's called immortalized cell lines, which we, you know, get in the freezer. We can order from companies. They have been going for years and years. You grow them. They're just regular cancer cells. Um, Can you explain to us kind of along this line, what are the different kinds of cell types you work with then and where they fall?
1: Yes. So, as I said, there are different types of cell, and as you said it too, and so... It depends. So if it's an immune cell, some of them that are not immortalized, they're not going to culture for longer time. Mm-hmm. You can just have them in culture or in the media that is um, full of nutrients for them to survive. Right. You can have them for a couple hours. So for me, is dendritic cells only survive for like a day. So oh, I only wow. use them for like five hour incubation and then that's it.
0: And so, what are dendritic cells for someone that doesn't know?
1: So, dendritic cells are um, these cells that are part of your immune system. Mm -hmm. Um, These are the ones that actually go and check anything that's foreign to the um, body. And Mm -hmm. so, they go, for example, a bacteria, they would, um, they're called antigen presenting cells. Mm -hmm. So, they take up the bacteria and then they go and present these. When they take up or when they recognize the bacteria, they present this receptor Mm -hmm. and then they'll go and tell the T cells Mm -hmm. um, or other immune cells. They give them an alert like, hey, this is in the body. We Mm -hmm. should like activate or activate the immune system and actually like go kill this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So these dendritic cells are kind of like the first response Mm -hmm. um, of the immune system to recognize that something is wrong. Yeah. So I'd imagine that's pretty labor heavy then, right? Like you have to be prepping them and using them all on the same day. Yes. And so my day really consists on like um, getting the mouse spleen and then there's specific beads that you um, put in the cell suspension And so if I want dendritic cells, there's a specific marker Mm -hmm. that would tell you that these are dendritic cells. So these beads bind to the dendritic cells. You isolate them, Mm -hmm. and then I can use them for that day only. And so if I'm going to do an experiment, I have to... Every day that I'm going to do an experiment, I have to isolate fresh dendritic cells. Wow. And so what happened, too, is that if you have fresh cells, then you're going to have a better... um, Sample in terms of cytokines. Mm-hmm. When you freeze cells, mm-hmm. the cells get weak, mm-hmm. right. um, And so I can use like frozen dendritic cells, but the release of cytokines, which is like the signal that these dendritic cells send to other cells to actually fight an infection, is um, it's a little bit lower on frozen cells mm-hmm. than fresh right. cells. So we like using fresh cells, so yeah. that's why I have to do this process, right? Yeah. And so going back to your question, so cancer cells are immortalized. So those you can keep um, growing and growing for certain passages. Mm -hmm. And so by passages, I just mean you give them fresh nutrients every two to three days, depending on the cell line, for them to be healthy. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Wow. And so
2: which kinds of cell lines do you work with that are immortalized? Do you have like a certain cancer you have to work with or is it...
1: Yeah, so we I, I specifically work with melanoma cancer cells, which okay. are B16, F10 cell line. And so those are pretty easy to grow. Yeah. Um, just need some um, like very um, general media that everyone uses, and they grow pretty easy. Oh, so,
0: and I just, I just don't really know anything cancer-wise, but is melanoma like skin cancer? Yes. Okay, so you're growing skin cancer cells in a dish? Yes. Okay. So when it comes to the microbiome, what where does that fall into play with the research you do? Because when I think microbiome, I think, you know, you have your gut and everything, and I know you're looking for different things that affect cancer. And so how do you go from the mouse, maybe microbiome or the dendritic cells to kind of co-culturing that with these skin cancer cells? Or like, where does the microbiome come into play?
1: The cancer cells, I've really... Use them only to create my cancer model, mm. mm-hmm. which would be injecting them into the mouse oh, okay. to oh, okay. actually cause the cancer. Got it. Right. And so, with this, really, what happens is that for the specific therapy that I'm using, the immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy, mm-hmm. it's been shown that if you remove the gut microbiome from the mouse, mm-hmm. the therapy for the melanoma yeah. won't mm-hmm. work. Got it. Okay. Oh. And so what we do is we use antibiotics in the mouse and we put um, the cancer mm-hmm. cells and so we give them treatment and you can see that what was published the therapy doesn't work at all. That's and so if you have a mouse that you didn't give them antibiotics and have the gut microbiota mm-hmm. it works. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that's so crazy. that's where it really comes into like, how how I use the cancer cells. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really don't use bacteria on cancer cells. Yeah. I think there's been a lot of research on that, really, on, like, there's if there's an, um, I don't know, an effect or not, but mm-hmm. I'm really more interested in creating my mouse model. Got it. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, what you do when it comes to tissue culture is more along the lines of prepping it to then put it into your mouse. Yes. And then use that as the model.
1: Yes. And more of the immune. Yeah. Like, that mouse model with the cancer cells is one part of my project. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of my project is looking at a different, um, completely different mouse or a completely different cell line mm-hmm. to actually understand the immunology right? behind what the gut microbiota is doing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to make the therapy work. Yeah. Wow, that's And so, so cool.
2: what do you do with the human samples that you receive? Because you said you can get microbiome information from the stool samples but
1: you're not really doing that so that's the thing so when you do research and when you're looking at these immunology um type of questions mm-hmm. the first step is like try it on mouse right model and so if you see a signal which we have seen is now you move into the human because mm-hmm. we're interested in looking at humans right and so what we do is get samples from a blood center, mm-hmm. and so we get the blood sample, and we do actually kind of the same as we do with the mouse spleen. Mm-hmm. We have some beads. So what we do is we get the blood sample, we remove remove the red blood cells because we are not interested in those, right. and then um, we do the beads. So I am interested in a specific um, type of cell, which is called PBMCs, and so this cell, it's, it's completely different because I cannot isolate dendritic cells from the human mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sample. What I have to do is I have to isolate this precursor, which right. then I'm going to give them some cytokines oh. that then they're going to differentiate into dendritic cells. Oh, and so, so this is a longer process. Wow. So are those like
0: stem cells in the blood? Yes. Okay. That's well, it's a great follow-up because yeah. the last conversation we had is stem cells. So that's nice. That's really cool.
1: Yeah, and so you can um, differentiate these cells in certain other type of cells based on the cytokines that you give them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's specifically what we do. Is like gotcha. uh, We start with these type of cells, PBMCs, and then turn them into dendritic cells, human dendritic cells, mm-hmm. to actually do our experiments. That's
2: super cool. So what would you say has been your biggest learning curve when you started this project and working with all these different techniques with mouse and culture and human samples and all of that? What's been the most like challenging,
1: difficult, and then maybe even
2: rewarding thing that you've learned so far?
1: Well, so I would say um, time, mm-hmm. because as I said, like that's very challenging that sometimes I'm in the lab or I'm starting this experiment that takes forever, like mm-hmm. I get to the lab at 6 a.m. There's a six-hour incubation. Right. And then for us, at least, to analyze this data or this experiment, we use flow cytometry. And so there's another three hours of staining. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, um, which happened very recently, all my cells were dead. Oh. And so it's like, all of that was just, like, lost. But, as, but, again, that one's the cells that I only culture for six hours. Right. But the, the rewarding part is that, for example, as we said, for the cancer cells, they grow so fast. You can, even if they're contaminated, like once, you can start a new stock. which right. Because contamination happens a lot in tissue culture if you don't use aseptic technique. Mm-hmm. And so the good thing is that a lot of these cell lines can grow pretty fast mm-hmm. if you... Um, if you have technique, if you star them, and they, they have a pretty good turnaround Yeah. For it. So what's your favorite experiment that you've done,
0: maybe you do all the time, or maybe it's like one that you got really cool data from?
1: Mm, I think that one, the one yeah. that takes forever. <laughs> the one that takes forever.
2: <laughs> it's the most rewarding, probably. Yeah.
1: I mean, and, and there's another one where we can actually um, create this model of the immune system. So what you can do is like isolate dendritic cells, mm-hmm. culture them with whatever antigen that you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And then you can isolate T cells too. Oh wow. And so when the dendritic cell is activated already, you mm-hmm. can go put it next to the T cell and incubate it. Oh, that's cool. That's and then cool. they then you have an activated T cell that yeah. you did in in vitro. So oh, it's wow. like an immune system in a yes. dish. That's really cool. So that's it's an a- yeah so we call it ex vivo t-cell activation Mm -hmm. and so it's pretty cool because i did everything outside Mm -hmm. and i activated t-cells and we see this release of cytokines and these like presentation of activation markers Mm -hmm. um after this coin wow so okay so then after
2: that answer what's your least favorite thing that you have to do when it comes to your day-to-day or even just a few experiments
1: Well, like in regards of uh, cell culture, like my least favorite thing is just all the steps you have to follow and how careful you need to be. Like you have to spray everything that's going into the tissue culture hood. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to make sure if you have a waste um, container, just make sure you clean it every day. And so really, I know like as scientists, you always have to be prepared, but like it really helps when you're preparing your whole experiment and you have all the materials before you start because then yeah. you, you're like at the cell culture hood and then you're like oh I forgot something so you have to go out go get it and then spray your hands again spray yeah. everything that you're bringing again and so that's um, a little tedious to do but <laughs> other than that honestly just if something in the incubator or my cells didn't grow that's my least favorite part just yeah. like I was hoping they would grow and then I get to 11 and then they're not growing. It's mm-hmm. just like it puts me behind yeah. a day or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely feel that
2: sometimes. Like you plan a whole yes. experiment based on the fact that they will be grown by this day and then they're not. and You're like, "Well,
1: <laughs> yeah." Or the other thing could be that like you don't have enough cells, which has happened mm-hmm. to me before too. Like I plan like, "Oh yeah, I think like two or three flasks would be fine." But then when I count the cells, it's like not enough. So I'm like, okay, I need to wait an extra day or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
0: my question, I kind of want to go back a few years. And so you chose the lab you're in because most likely the PI or the research you do, you really kind of clicked with. Mm-hmm. But what were some of the other labs that you did immunology kind of rotations in? And why did you choose this one you're in over those other ones?
1: So I think I never really knew I was going to end up doing so much immunology. Mm -hmm. Um, I never really, I've been in so many different types of research that I've just enjoyed doing. I've never said on like, I only want to do one Mm -hmm. thing because I started my research career with like, agriculture Mm -hmm. um, doing like growing I don't know tomatoes Mm -hmm. chili pepper and it was just like we were looking at um, how different types of shade would affect the growth of these fruits so that was my first one and then I moved into like um, working with bacteria I was working with Francisella tularensis um, which was uh, very interesting and just looking at biomarkers to um, find drugs Mm -hmm. Um, that targeted, And so then from there, I move into the Oncocerca, which is parasitology. Mm-hmm. And then now in the gut microbiome, I, I was mostly interested in the bacteria type of, or the bacteria side of things. But then after the project was like developing and just progressing, then I guess my lab and a lot of us were more interested. It It just seemed like the right decision to take mm-hmm. on, like, focusing more on the immunology side yeah. and what was happening, especially because the, the cancer treatment that we're focused on, which, um, as I said before, immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy, it works a lot under the immune system. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like an activation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's a, they block um, some receptors to activate the immune system. So it's an uh-huh. antibody
2: okay.
1: that um, works that way. so during your time studying you know
2: stuff about the microbiome i'm sure you've read a lot about it and you read a lot of papers and stuff is there anything that you've read that maybe you've started to sort of subtly incorporate into your own life regarding the microbiome or are there any the other part of that question would be is do you see any like misconceptions out there about the microbiome that you wish people would understand a little bit better
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I always get the question, like, if kombucha works, (laughs) if if we should be eating certain things um, I think I'm more mindful of mm-hmm. what I eat or mm-hmm. how I take care of myself but I don't take it too much to heart. if you look at patients and if you look at the gut microbiome their gut microbiome is bad because they've been receiving antibiotics way before like okay. it's just a prevention type of thing right and so their microbiome is not good because of these mm-hmm. but honestly it's all of us have different microbiomes based on what we eat, but also a lot of us have the same mm-hmm. because there are certain phylums that are like um, most abundant on everyone. I know we've been we've been doing my lab. Actually, uh, we have processed our own stool samples, <laughs> and we got our our bacteria. I don't remember right now what mine was because we were supposed to do T-shirts with our graphs. Yes. Oh, that's so cool! <laughs> but really we haven't funny. done it, and so yeah. Uh, I mean, we saw differences between like some of my peers that were were vegetarian. Mm-hmm. You see these like difference. Um, but really, we were pretty much um, very similar. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like, I don't really comment on like probiotics, probiotics. It's just like, if it works for you, then yeah. that's yeah. fine. Like, it's,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like to think when people ask me questions about science, it's like we did do such basic research yeah. that, you know, it would be 20 years in the future for me to be able to tell you how my research impacted. Something in medicine, yeah, exactly. Most likely.
1: And as I said, I'm looking at patients who have had like years of antibiotics, yeah. so they of course have a very different microbiome. Wow!
0: Yeah. So with that, you know, there's millions of different, I feel like, bacteria in the microbiome, and how do you, in your research, distinguish which ones are the important ones for this these cancer therapies?
1: So. We do um, sequencing, mm-hmm. and so there's um, certain, like, statistical techniques or, um, like, tools that you can use. Mm-hmm. And so really, like, when you run all these data, you can really see the difference between the two. Like, if you see a responder and non-responder, mm-hmm. you can see, and we have seen it now, that um, so these <laughs> patients that respond have more abundant um I don't know. Let's say like there's these bacteria Dds, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and so based on that, then we look at more specific bacteria that are present, mm-hmm. and so people have found many different ones yeah. under that group, mm-hmm. um, and so it's just like sequencing, okay. sequencing okay. tools that we would use for mm-hmm. more specific phylum and like the name of the bacteria. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. I'm still thinking about the fact that. Your lab all brought in stool samples. Uh, I know. I love that. What an so, awkward day. <laughs> well, the thing is that there's there's one person that does stool samples, process mm-hmm. stool samples uh-huh. from patients, but for the one that our lab did, each of us process uh, ours because okay, that okay, would good. be very weird yeah. that this person would, like, know or, like, process our own poop. So <laughs> we did our own. And it was very interesting to walk with my poop to the lab. <laughs> yeah. It was an interesting experience. Oh my gosh! But I can't wait to see my shirt and just yeah. show people what my gut yeah. microbiome is. That's so
0: cool. You guys should start like a a little a service a service. <laughs> on well,
1: we I think we're accepting um, patients, but I don't think you're gonna get a shirt <laughs> or you get some I information. Pay I pay twenty know. bucks for a <laughs> shirt for microbiome.
2: Is there any... I mean, obviously, this is, like, probably more for a doctor, but, like, is there any benefit to knowing your own microbiome? Like, do you think there's anything that people could glean from that information?
1: I don't I don't really think so. Mm. Um, I think the only thing I can think of is that maybe... Um, because I've seen that there's, like, pills that have some, like, dry bacteria that you can mm-hmm. take either, I think it's a prebiotic... Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, in my opinion, there's not a benefit. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's
2: what I Because yeah. I know there's some, like, it's a growing trend, you know, and some doctors and stuff will offer all these services that you can do, and one of them sometimes is get your microbiome sequenced. And it's like, why? Yeah, like a
0: panel. <laughs> yeah, I'll just mm-hmm. do a
2: microbiome panel. Like, maybe that helps for deficiencies, yeah. but... Yeah, I mean, I
0: back in 2016 I got my wisdom teeth pulled and I'm actually Mm -hmm. allergic to almost like all antibiotics Mm -hmm. and the doctor or the dentist prescribed me antibiotics to help with healing um but it wiped out a lot of the good bacteria Mm -hmm. in my gut and I ended up getting c-diff and I like they were like you were a week away from (sighs) probably dying of like holes in your intestine and I was like glad I got it figured out but I haven't been on antibiotics since then so almost eight years I haven't taken an antibiotic yeah yeah that's good you know I said going back to your rotations now kind of jumping forward where do you see yourself in the next few years do you want to do a postdoc are you more into science communication or what kind of where do you see yourself in the realm of science once you're done with your PhD
1: um yeah, so I'm really interested in science communication, mm-hmm. especially on like the social media side, because I've seen that, um, especially biotech companies have mm-hmm. it. And so I'm really leaning towards biotech. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I just need to find the perfect position that just um, contains this social media communication mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, side of it. Or like marketing side of it yeah because I, w- I would also be interested in that i don't know if you've seen like when companies when you buy a kit and mm-hmm. they give you like a video on how to use it yeah. i would love yeah. to be involved in that Oh, that'd be cool. or like um there's also people that make blogs on these biotech companies mm-hmm. so that would also be something i'm interested on and since my lab is very it's like we're trying to like develop this thing to help immuno checkpoint therapy Mm -hmm. is like I'm also interested in these like research and development side of Mm. the of biotech that's really cool and so I'm leaning more towards the biotech than academia for sure yeah (laughs) yeah so how did that
0: biotech
1: thing in Boston
0: you went to play a role in kind of what you want to do in the future
1: so um Well, as many of us, we don't know much about biotech, right? right. Because we've always been told, like, academia and (laughs) postdoc and um, being a PI. Mm -hmm. But then, like, you open your eyes to all these other things that you could do besides academia. And so this program in Boston, um, it's like, it's a program to help you match with a mentor in Mm -hmm. biotech. And so this mentor is going to help you... Create a CV because it's different than the one you use in academia. Mm -hmm. Um, Understand mainly the positions that there are because there's Mm -hmm. so many. Um, You can be in in bench. You can be um, a project manager. You can just um, be in the, I don't know, like um, regulatory affairs of whatever product they're launching. Mm -hmm. And so... This program or this conference that I went, it's called Bio-International Convention. Mm-hmm. And so this is like the largest biotech industry conference in the world. Oh, wow. And so there was this exhibition with all these countries like South Africa, France, mm-hmm. um, Germany, Mexico. And then also all the states in the United States that have these like biotech hubs like um, San Diego, mm-hmm. um, Boston. Yeah. And so... Just seeing how different it was from an academic conference, it was very Mm mind-blowing. And so really it was like a sales conference too because all these companies are trying to sell you their product. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, just seeing this whole world that is different than academia just really interests me. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, Is there anything, did you get the sense that there's anything different you can do during your PhD that will maybe make you more, you know, appealing to a tech company? Because we all kind of do the same thing in our PhD. How do we
1: make ourselves stand out as like wanting to do more than academia to them? There was nothing like specific in that um, sense. It was more like, Everyone said it's very hard to enter mm-hmm. the biotech industry. That's the hardest part, okay. entering. Mm-hmm. And then once you're in there, then you can move to anywhere. If you started research oh, and development, okay. if you started in the bench, then you move to project manager. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to move right. within once you're inside. But so the one of the um, advice that I got was to, as I said, it was it's really different from academia. You're not going to list all the... Um, techniques that you're mm-hmm. like that you know what to do how to do Right. they were mostly telling me like in your CV they care about skills so okay. say that you're a problem solver Yeah. say right. that you uh, are a project manager mm-hmm. so all the skills that you've learned in the PhD really like which I never really look at it that way like yeah. oh yeah true I'm a problem solver yeah. I'm always solving problems yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, I'm, I'm a project manager yes. I manage my own project <laughs> exactly yeah. and so so, um you lead a team if you have an yes. undergrad <laughs> there, there you go, go. <laughs> yeah I'm a mentor uh-huh. um I'm a mother to many many words <laughs> yes so yeah so all of these skills that I really never thought about um that was a good advice that they gave me and so also I mean if we're real the money yeah, yeah. Uh, the payment that they offer um it's it's really tempting yeah. to to go from academia to industry yeah wow
2: do you think you would miss the bench after or are you feeling like this is a phase of life that you're ready to move on from when it's done
1: well that's the thing that I don't know that maybe I would like to go into the bench side mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a couple of years yeah but yeah I think I would miss like, for, for sure, the flexibility that um, academia labs have yeah. in terms of creativity, in terms of, like, trying many things at once. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like industry is very, like, just go, 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 and whatever. If it's not working, let's move on to something else. Or it's very, um, there's this process that, like, quality control. Like, mm-hmm. if you look at it, then if it's not working, let's go to the next thing. Or there's these other com- compounds that we have to try. So I don't know. It's it's different in that sense, at least to me.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned kind of being a science communicator for biotech, if that's what you wanted to get into. And we kind of know you have a, a large following for social media and neuroscience communication. So kind of where did you start with that? And mm-hmm. kind of what made you interested in getting your message out there to people and... Yeah, just kind of how you started with that.
1: Yeah, so, um, yeah, I never thought my social media was gonna get to where it is right now. Um, I started during the pandemic when mm-hmm. we were doing shifts at the lab, <laughs> and no yes. one was there to see yeah. me record, <laughs> <laughs> and so. I started recording and that's when like TikTok started. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know why, but well, I kind of know. But so my first language is Spanish Mm -hmm. and um, I really started to want to learn these science terms in Spanish. Mm -hmm. I think mainly because I also was explaining to my family all about COVID, but I didn't know how to say some words because I didn't learn any of the science in Spanish. Right. So then I started wanting to learn these and being able to communicate my signs in Spanish, so my TikTok is mostly all in Spanish, mm-hmm. and then my Instagram is Spanish and English mm-hmm. and so I, I think the purpose of all of these was just well communicating to the general public. Mm-hmm. What we do, especially because not even my parents knew what a scientist do. Yeah. yeah. And so it was like, hey, we're here, we're important, and it's a profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And then on the second um, hand, it's like, um, I am a Latina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to represent women Latinas in science. Mm-hmm. And so it was... Also showing people, like, hey, you can look like me mm-hmm. and you can be a scientist. Yeah. Right. And so all of these grew mainly because of that message mm-hmm. and because I also, I think, because. Um, Also, I wanted to be very real about the PhD experience, especially because I don't know if this happened to you guys in the first year, but I felt very dumb. I was like, (laughs) I don't know how these people come up with these questions, but this is crazy. I do not belong here. I wanted to quit the first week. I was like, I need an easier job because (laughs) I can't do this. And so just like I don't like when people pretend everything's amazing and they're doing Good. Yeah. I just wanted to tell people, hey, I'm a PhD student. I feel dumb, and that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I pass my quals or I pass my class, yeah. And I still feel dumb. And so it's like we're not perfect. And so I also did a lot of like just putting out these raw message and mm-hmm. just like, hey, you don't have to be perfect. Yeah. And so it grew a lot, and that's when I started looking at how biotech companies want to interact with the general public, mm-hmm. and so. I did this collaboration with Moderna to like, um, talk about the vaccine in Mm -hmm. English and in Spanish. And so there's other things like, um, that I did in terms of communicating science. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's super cool. That is really cool. Has there anything that's
2: been like kind of unexpected, but really like cool or fun that's come out of this social media journey that you've gone on?
1: Well, when I get recognized in in conferences, like in the bio conference, I was recognized and there, or like I went to this other conference in Puerto Rico last year and they're like, are you Priscilla from TikTok? And I was like, (laughs) yes, I am. (laughs) Or here in the cafeteria, there was this woman, um, she was just like, hey, are you Priscilla from TikTok? And I was like, and they're like can we take a picture with you? Oh, and like, so cute. Um, these, one of my followers, I met one of my followers at the bio conference mm-hmm. and he like calls someone else that also follows me and so we were doing like a FaceTime yeah. and I'm like, hey, what's up? And she starts crying and I'm, just <laughs> I'm like, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it, it, but that's the thing, right? Like that's pressure though. Like yeah, you're yeah. actually like, influencing these people yeah. and it's like you have to be very careful on like what you're going to Put out there yeah on social media it's kind
2: of crazy it's like you see the people you're like oh you're not just numbers on my screen I know. yeah <laughs> that's crazy i do think
0: yeah it's a fine line especially because you're talking science yes mm-hmm. it's like that is the finest line especially mm-hmm. coming out of covid yes. when a lot of things were misconstrued mm-hmm. and so i can't imagine what yeah. it's like to have to post that and then also have to, like translating it and then yeah. making yeah. sure that it doesn't seem one way or the other.
2: Yeah, especially if you're showing, like, the raw side. It could turn someone away, yeah. but, like, that's, that's the reality, you know, and that could be hard, but, it, yeah.
0: Well, I hope it yeah. opens it up because, yeah. I mean, everything, everybody's so cheery when they're trying to convince you to do a PhD. They're I like, know, it's amazing. You're done in four yes. years, yeah. and then you get to your third your fourth year and you're like I'm gonna be here for 10 years (laughs) I I see no end in saying
1: I know yeah and they yeah I've seen that that they sell it to you like it's like the best thing ever and it's really hard it's hard it could be and you love it but it's hard you have good days you have bad days
2: and I mean I I tell people this a lot but I was convinced of like really convinced of doing my PhD by the fact that I was mentored by a grad student in undergrad who was having a rough time like he was he was mentoring me, and he was clearly in charge of me, but he was having a really hard time. Stuff was just not working. He wasn't quite where he wanted to be, but he was very honest with me, and I got to see kind of the process, and I still liked it. And I yeah. was like, that, to me, is more convincing than I ever needed. Yeah. Um, you know, he didn't try to hide the facts that were bad or, like, shelter me from the... Maybe slightly more toxic parts of the lab or anything, but I think that that can be if if you're determined and you know all the information, then it's like then you know what you're getting into.
0: Oh yeah. No, I was in working during an REU down in Houston, mm-hmm. and I was fully planning on still going to med school, mm-hmm. and I had a, a postdoc who was a very flamboyant gay man tell me <laughs> that I would not make it in medicine, and I need to do a doctorate in yeah. science, because that's my vibe. Yeah. Basically, he said, you need to do it, because that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what represents you, and I was like, oh, I've never thought about that, <laughs> yeah. and then the next day, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah
1: um always I tell my followers that because they think like oh my god you're doing amazing you don't um everything looks so easy and I was like no I get nervous every time I start a protocol a new protocol (laughs) I get nervous every time I present (laughs) and it's like it never ends yeah and stuff fails and And just get through (laughs) it yeah yeah
0: Yep. And then you have whips, and you get questioned yes. yeah. for twenty minutes afterwards. <laughs>
2: yeah, that was crazy. Um, well, so then uh, on the lighter side of stuff, what do you do as like your hobbies? What do you do to keep yourself sane in grad school? Really, is what we like to ask people. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, my social media is one of the things that really, like, brings me joy Mm and just, like, um, Mm -hmm. spreading information about programs, especially for, like, a lot of international students follow me. And so just, like, telling them about programs that accept PhD students Mm -hmm. and um, that would give them the support that they need to come here to the U.S. So that's one of my hobbies. Mm -hmm. And just, like, spending time with my husband, with my family, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty... um, big on like being with my family like family is everything to me yeah. and so i go visit them in el paso as like every time i can yeah yeah and so they just bring me peace and i enjoy being there and traveling too okay um, yeah, awesome. I saw you went to the Adele concert. I did. Day. How was that? I did. It's amazing. <laughs> it was one of the best concerts I've ever been to. Really? It's really. And if people were like asking me, does, it, does she sing the same like in person? I was like, yeah, it's like the same. It's yeah. so good. It's probably better because wow. you yes. get to like watch her do it. Yeah, and that's awesome. And so yeah, just being able to do i always tell people just like the phd is not your whole personality right, you no. need to have a life because if you just are there in the lab you're just gonna you yeah. know be grumpy all the time or be mad or be just unmotivated you need a break and you need to do something you like yeah. to be able to come back and keep going yeah, yeah. No, I and have a pet. A pet helps. You have a dog, right? Yes, yes, yes. I have a husky, so (laughs) she's my baby, and so yeah, we go on walks. Yeah, and that's the How does she do in the summers here, man? Yeah, (laughs) I mean, she (laughs) survives. She's still here. I don't know. She's already used to it. She came to El Paso actually, um, which is more desert-like heat, and so. My husband brought her from Indiana when she was like 2 months oh, so wow. she's always been She's here. always been a Tex- yeah. she's a Texan yeah. husky. Yeah. yeah. So, so does she do the husky scream? She doesn't actually oh, really? and we don't know why. <laughs> um I don't know. I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> yes, it is a good thing. And she's not as hyper as other Huskies. Mm-hmm. People always ask me, like, she's different. I was like, yeah. she is. I don't know why. <laughs>
0: it's <the huge> thing. <laughs> yeah. She was raised well. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, do you want to
0: drop your social media no. handles?
1: Yeah, so both of my Instagram and TikTok are, it's a long username, but it's uh, uh, priest, dbm versus science. Mm-hmm. and so you can find me like that okay. and we'll mm-hmm. tag you in
2: our posts and yes, perfect. we'll make sure we put it in our show notes as well
1: Yeah, definitely. and
2: we're obviously at incubation underscore time so follow us too and um, yeah thank you all for listening thank you for being here You'll thank you so much you. for having
0: me yeah this was great